Welcome to Into the Breach, a reps and warranties policy podcast by Brian O'Keefe and Jenna Usenheimer, partners and co-leaders of the Transactional Underwriting Council practice at Cyforth Shaw, interviewing leaders from the industry and exploring the latest developments, market trends, and news impacting RWI and the transactional risk insurance markets. Hello and welcome to another episode of Into the Breach. Uh, I'm Brian O'Keefe, your host here, and I'm joined by my co-host Jenna Usenheimer. How are you doing, Jenna? I'm good, Brian. How are you? I'm doing very well. Uh, we're taping this show the morning after the Super Bowl. Uh, Jenna's down in Florida right now, and I was talking to you earlier, and your dad was rooting for the Bucks and was apparently very happy that they won the Super Bowl. Oh, the Bucks are the Florida team. The Bucks is the Florida. Jenna's showing her sports knowledge, everybody. The Bucks <laughs> is the Florida team. That is correct. So, yes, my dad was really excited. So, my dad thought the other team was Kansas, right? Kansas City. Yeah. So, my dad thought that Kansas was going to win. So, he, at, at halftime, he came into the room where my mom and I were watching like a drama on Netflix, and he seemed very excited that Florida was winning. So, you were also telling me your parents were, your dad was very into the halftime show. <laughs> my dad asked my mom if she wanted to see the halftime performance by weekend. And then there was a lot of back and forth on what's, what's weekend? What are you talking about? (laughs) They were, it was pretty cute. Anyway, we decided to tape the weekend's performance and watch it at a later time. It's it's like an episode of Seinfeld down there. It was, yeah. I mean, every, all the time in Florida. Well, there you go. There you go. Well, uh, we have another guest with us today. Who's also in the sunshine state right now, uh, and that is Dave Anderson. Um, he's the CEO and executive recruiter at Greenwich Executive Group, um, and he's gonna be on today. We're gonna have a little different uh, uh, subject matter today than we usually have. Dave is gonna be on talking about careers in RWI uh, and career advice in RWI. So we're, we're really happy to have you with us today, Dave. Well, Brian and Jenna, thanks very much for having me. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the Super Bowl very much as well. Rooted for the Florida team or the, the team. <laughs> you have to in Florida. <laughs> um, and uh, I thought the game might be a little bit more exciting than it was, but you know, um, sometimes Super Bowls can be blowouts and what, do you, what can you do? Yeah. I thought it was actually fairly boring. I and mean, so you said though, we were talking before Dave, so you were, you're a Patriots fan. So you were still rooting for Tom Brady. Well, all of my, I was born in uh, Massachusetts and all of my family is still up there and have lived there most of my life. So obviously huge Patriot fans for, you know, 30 or 40 years and um, huge Tom Brady and, and Gronk fans. So yeah, we've been, we were rooting hard for them last night and it's incredible that they won again. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's amazing. Yeah, it's like his seventh Super Bowl, Tom Brady. Yeah. I listen to my sports <laughs> knowledge, guys. See, look at you. My you sports know, trivia is really you're nice. hiding this. <laughs> Aces, <right>? Aces, yeah. <laughs> One of the stats that blew me away last night was that Brady has played in twice as many Super Bowls as the city of Tampa has hosted. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was it's it's pretty crazy. And I'm I'm a Steelers fan, so I was uh I was very happy for Bruce Arians, the coach of the Tampa Bay Bucks. He used to be a coach with the Steelers, but also sort of smarting that we somehow fired him 10 years ago because <laughs> uh, he's went on to have a really successful career afterwards. He was actually quoted last week in the Pittsburgh paper saying it was the best thing that ever happened to him when the Steelers fired him. So um, I think there's actually a lot of uh, career knowledge in that too. So, well, thanks for, ha- thanks for coming on Dave and uh, kind of turning to the, 
subject at hand. Um, uh, for our listeners who don't know him, Dave actually has a very interesting practice that we're going to let him explain, but he does a lot of recruiting uh, and career work in the RWI industry and really has a, a sub-niche in that. So uh, maybe Dave, if you want to talk a little, a little bit about that and how you got involved in this and what your company does in the RWI industry. Absolutely. So I met my wife, uh, Karen, in law school, and we both were working, were practicing at large law firms in Manhattan and really not enjoying it, uh, neither one of us. We really wanted to get into business in some capacity. We were both placed by headhunters um, early in our careers. And the curiosity started where we're like, you know, we think we can do that better than those people. And then we found out, you know, how much money they made doing it. And we're like, wow. So my wife quit her job and started the recruiting business. And I was hired by Dave DeBerry um, to underwrite reps and warranties insurance and tax insurance. This was very early days in the late 90s. I was loving doing that. I, I learned so much um, working with uh, Dave DeBerry and then Ken DeBerry joined us and um, learned even more from Ken. I was loving it. And my wife said to me, you know, it would really be fun for us to build a business together in recruiting. And I said, well, look, I mean, if you can make it successful, um, I'd consider that. And she's like, all right, well, how successful do I have to be? I said, well, if you can make four or five, six placements a year, um, then I'll join you thinking, oh, she's never going to do that. <laughs> so she made a dozen wow. and, you know, it was like, whoa. So in the first yeah. year, and um, so I'm like, all right, well, we're going to do it. We're well, so I, I ended up, I ended up leaving. Um, we were at the Hartford at the time. This is before they started Concord. And um, I, you know, I left in 2004 and um, joined her and we've been doing it, you know, the last 17 years together and have had a great run. But I think that, um, you know, it was just really out of both of us had a real entrepreneurial spirit and it was sort of a dream to build a business together. But I had mixed feelings about leaving transactional risk insurance because I loved underwriting. And uh, it's just interesting to have two jobs. Most people only get one job in their career they love. And right. um, I, I really enjoyed both. So, um, and I think it really helps me with recruiting, uh, having a deep knowledge of the products and the industry. And, you know, a lot of the contacts I have uh, on both the broker side and the underwriting side, you know, I've known these folks for 15 or 20 years. I mean, they would send me deals when I was underwriting or we would underwrite them together. So those deep ties, I think I can understand, you know, the cultures of the companies and the kind of people that they want. And I think that's kind of, that really was part of the reason that I, uh, that, that I've had some success recruiting um, in the industry. Well, I, I thought it was a fascinating background that you combine uh, both recruiting and, and reps and warranty insurance yeah. uh, is just a, a fascinating niche to have here. So um, perhaps, you know, we want to talk a little bit today about, about careers in RWI. And uh, for the loyal listeners of our show, they would know that uh, at the end of our show, uh, the second last question we usually ask our guests is what's sort of their biggest piece of career advice uh, if you're interested in going into RWI. And perhaps we would start off here off the bat uh, by asking you that question um, and talking to a lot of uh, insurers and brokers and job applicants, you know, what's sort of your biggest piece of career advice if there's people out there who, who might want to get into this and what they should do? Well, there's so many things you could say, but I think that the number one thing for 
any professional, whether you're a lawyer or whether you have a CPA background or if you just have an, an executive insurance background is if you're gonna get into reps and warranties insurance, it's taking whatever discipline you offer. Um, and Like, let's just say you're an M&A lawyer and you're a lawyer in a law firm and you're thinking about this industry, you're using your skills as a lawyer and what you've learned about M&A and you're using them in a business capacity. In other words, yeah. most in-house jobs. So if you go from a law firm to a company and to an in-house capacity, most in-house jobs, you're in a legal department, maybe it's big, maybe it's small, but you're part of a cost center of that company. You're not, you're not directly generating revenue. Uh, whereas with reps and warranties insurance, um, you're underwriting and you're using your legal background in much more of a business and operational way that generates revenue for the business. And that has several implications, but I guess what I would say is for career advice, you have to want to be, you have to want to use your background in a business way um, rather than just a lawyer giving legal advice. And that's, that's probably the most important point. And actually speaking of lawyers with M&A experience, do you think that that's really like the main experience that you need to be an underwriter or how could people without M&A corporate experience get into the industry? I think that's an excellent question. I think for quite some time, there was sort of a narrow-minded view that um, M&A lawyers are really the only folks who can underwrite in a qualified way. And I say narrow-minded because it's much, much broader than that. However, um, look, M&A lawyers, I think, are an essential part of any uh, strong underwriting team. And if you look around the industry, um, the strongest underwriting teams all have multiple M&A lawyers on them. However, uh, that's not the only background that is frankly, in my opinion, needed. Uh, over the past few years, the real leaders in the industry have added uh, folks with a CPA background. Because look, I mean, as you look at the claims history, financial statements and the breach of financial statements and not just the frequency of those breaches, but the magnitude of those breaches, when yeah. you consider multiple damages and so forth. Um, it's the financial statements where where a significant part of the risk is in any deal. And in my view, in the view of many people in the industry, some of the most qualified people to underwrite uh, that particular risk have CPA backgrounds from whether it's big four or other large accounting firms on the audit side. And then they transition a lot of them over to the M&A advisory side. Um, and those are the candidates that we've been recruiting in addition to M&A lawyers for the past few years. And, when you combine the CPA background with the M&A lawyers and the two uh, types of professionals learn from one another, that's really where you get a strong and tight and underwriting team, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I think the people who can speak, the underwriters who can speak intelligently on the finance side really are a, a value add to the product for sure. Yeah, I, I, other, other people have told us um, something similar. We had a guest on in December uh, who's a buy-say lawyer, and he said just being familiar with all these different business concepts. You don't need an MBA, but at least uh, understanding all these. And it's not always true that M&A lawyers have an interest in sort of understanding everything having to do with the financial statements and the accounting and, and those sorts of things. And But I think having that kind of background uh, beyond just kind of the narrow legal background can, can really help differentiate people who want to get involved in this area. Yeah, I think the the two the, the types of professionals can learn from one another. Um, the the M and A lawyers obviously can. I mean, I think the best dynamic on an underwriting team is um, the folks with a CPA or tax background 
are learning from the M&A lawyers. The M&A lawyers and the tax lawyers are learning from the CPA folks. And, you know, it's that, I mean, this is the kind of job where, you know, it, you got to get better at it every day. And the way you do that is working with people where you can teach them things, you can learn from them. And um, if, you're, if you're getting better at it every day, then, you, you know, the, the company you work for is getting stronger. I think we completely agree with that. Jenna and I are not tax lawyers, that we've learned a lot about tax through working with our tax lawyers. So that's true. <laughs> On some deals, I can even like predict all the tax exclusions beforehand, which I never thought I'd be able to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also a pro with the Wayfair decision, Economic Nexus, 2018 Supreme Court. Never thought I would say that before. So it takes uh, a village. <laughs> 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 Well, speaking of tax, Dave, um, you know, kind of moving now a little bit into um, some sub niches. We, we're all familiar with the regular reps uh, policies. We know that there have been a growth in, in other sort of these sub niches, tax insurance, contingent risk insurance. And um, maybe I want to talk a little bit about, you know, where you see those products headed. And if you're placing uh, people who have those very specific backgrounds, the, the, the niche within the niche is how I kind of look at it. And, and if you're seeing that, uh, a growth in those in underwriters in those particular areas too. Absolutely. So the first, I would say, four or five years that I spent recruiting in transactional risk insurance, it was really reps and warranties, insurance underwriters, and it was a lot of M&A lawyers. And then slowly over time, you know, we expanded those teams into, as I mentioned, um, you know, some CPA folks and some other professionals. But then I would say the last couple of years before the pandemic, tax insurance just exploded. And right up into about, it was a year ago, really, I was when the pandemic started. Um, tax, I mean, I think I the last four or five placements I made before, um, you know, before things shut down, were tax insurance and there was a lot of momentum. And I think it'll come back. I think it's been slower to come back than reps and warranties insurance. I'm not sure why. I know there's been a lot of changes in the tax law over the last few years um, with the different administrations. And obviously the pandemic slowed things down, but reps and warranties insurance, I think has come back faster than tax insurance, but tax insurance had a lot of momentum um, really a year ago. And um, in terms of the, in the future, I, I think the contingent um, liability or contingent risk products um, are are probably the next growth area. Um, and I think that we haven't seen too many openings yet, but I would say over the next sort of, you know, two to four years, that area I think is really going to, is, is poised for growth. We agree. And we've even seen that in our own practice where we are a lot more requests to work on contingent risk matters. Right, Brian? Yeah, no, we've seen that and we've had uh, a couple episodes of the podcast actually where we've kind of been touching on that subject and I think there's a lot of interest in that in that subject right now. So absolutely. Yeah. It's it's been a bit of a stop and start with that product really for 20 years. I mean, when I first joined um the team with the DeBerries, there was a lot of talk about it and this was in the 90s and you know, I think there's been fits and starts that's been called different things. At one point it was called LMUs and, and people, you know, litigation, um, loss mitigation, underwriting. But I think that now, um, I think now is sort of like finally the time when it's really going to take off. 
Um, yeah, well, we hope so. Um, so speaking of, um, you said before everything shut down. So speaking of the pandemic, do you think that there's going to be a long or short-term impact on the recruiting in RWI because of the pandemic? Is it easier to recruit and place people because everyone's working remotely? Is it harder? Is there no impact? What, what's your experience? That's been? a great question. And, you know, it, it's, it has played out not at all. The last year has played out not at all like I expected um, because the closest thing, you know, when, when the pandemic first came and obviously there was a shutdown, I thought of the financial crisis that we obviously went through um, in 2008, 2009. And I thought, wow, this is really going to stop things, uh, stop recruiting. It's going to stop hiring for an extended period of time. That was sort of the playbook we were, we were working under, and it hasn't played out that way at all. The financial crisis was a much different recession. This one, obviously a self-induced recession, uh, is different, has had a different impact, at least certainly on the white collar um, hiring market. There was a slowdown for a few months, but by the end of the summer and the start of the fall, all the pent up demand for hiring resumed. And it really, I mean, look, there was, there was a stoppage, but I, it's come back stronger than ever. And I think a lot of the hiring that would have taken place um, last spring, last summer, and even early fall has just been not, it hasn't been uh, eliminated, it's been delayed. And so now, um, you know, I know that the economy is weaker um, than it should be, particularly um, for you know non-professionals uh, who are working. But for the professional hiring, it's man, it's 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 very very active. And this particular industry, transactional risk, um, is as I, in my opinion, it's as busy in hiring now as it's ever been. So it really hasn't. It's been a it's, and I think maybe it has to do with the self-induced nature of the recession and um, a lot of the stimulus and a lot of the, I mean, obviously low interest rates and how that affects private equity firms. I don't know all the factors, but um, this industry is, is growing, it's strong, and the hiring has been ferocious. I, th I think that's consistent with what we've seen. I mean, we've, uh, the end of the year was a the busiest time that we could have believed for our practice. Insane. I think, uh, yeah. yeah, I think that's very consistent with what with what we've seen as well. So, um, well, maybe we'll ask uh, a question. I, I think there is some curiosity about uh, sometimes from people who are not working at the underwriters um, uh, in terms of you know what sort of uh, salaries, benefits, that, that sort of thing, and we don't need the exact number, but maybe some, you know, at least some ideas or ballpark ranges on these questions as to, you know, and, and maybe in, in comparison to what, you know, people are, are used to making in, uh, in M&A deals or as M&A lawyers. And, you know, if there's any other sort of, I guess, fringe benefits or other things that might make these jobs particularly attractive as compared to working as just like an M&A lawyer or a CPA or, or some of the other backgrounds people have. Yeah. I mean, that's another great question. And I would say that, um, the law firm compensation uh, has always affected significantly the compensation for folks who are hired and not obviously not all of them are coming from large law firms, but the law firm compensation model, um, which is public information, we, we can't ask people what they make, but if it's posted on, on, you know, a thousand job boards, obviously we know what they make because it's, it's uh, lockstep and at least at the associate level. Um, so what's really affected compensation in the transactional risk industry, and frankly, the in-house legal market in general, is the aggressive raising of, of salaries 
by large law firms and the matching of that by all of their competition. And I think over the last five years, um, there have been two major bumps in law firm large law firm compensation, at least in the New York and DC and Chicago, you know, the major markets. Um, and that has really driven what already was, you know, very high compensation. It's really caused it to um, become even more competitive. So like we'll get, like, let's say we'll get a, a, a call from a company maybe we haven't worked with before. Uh, and they say, we need to hire an M&A lawyer from a law firm. And they're really not well-versed. And look, I'm going to say this because it's public information. Anybody can go to a website like, oh, we want to hire a, an M&A attorney with five years. And it's like, well, do you know that person's base salary is 300,000? And, and they're just, and then their bonus is probably, you know, 75 or 85,000. And it's, it, people get sticker shock real fast when they hear those numbers. Um, and look, not to say that the compensation in the industry matches that because people go into it for different reasons. And the long-term compensation opportunity in the industry uh, is fantastic. I mean, once you are trained and once you understand how to underwrite, or obviously, you know, if you're on the broker side, you understand how to be a skilled uh, reps and warranties or tax insurance broker, the compensation opportunity, uh, you know, it's, it's wonderful. But when I think companies are first hiring and they're not educated, um, it's it you know we have to have some has to have some tough conversations with them about what what people make and um, that's that's not easy. Yeah, you can imagine. Um, well, I think on that note, we're going to move on to a fun little game section uh, that we call "Once More Unto the Breach." These are quick questions. They're fun. They're lighthearted. You just like give us the first answer that pops into your mind. So the first question we ask all of our guests is what is the biggest change you think we'll see in the rep and warranty industry in the next 12 months? You could say two changes if you have, if you can't decide. You know, I think it's a, one of the things, I think it's, there's a continuation of what has started, which I think what we'll see is more disciplined underwriting and reps and warranties insurance will be more highly rewarded. I mean, it's always mm -hmm. rewarded, but yeah. I think in this market, I think that- I agree. Um, there was a time when responsible underwriting wasn't penalized, but I think that um, two or three years ago, uh, there was folks who are more disciplined in their underwriting who were losing deals uh, because they were just sticking to their disciplined approach. And there were some other folks who maybe weren't as careful and maybe terms got watered down a bit. And obviously the pricing was affected, retentions, everything was affected. Um, and I think that now you're seeing a sort of a harder market in, uh, and that's the way it should work. That's the way property and casualty is supposed to work. Um, right. So I think that the more disciplined underwriting will be more highly rewarded. We're already seeing signs of that, but uh, you know, it reminds me of, um, you know, there's a, I think Warren Buffett said, insurance, insurance is one of these products where you can't celebrate when you bring in the premium, right? Uh, you find out three or four years later, whether you made the right the right decision, Warren Buffett said, um, you don't find out who's swimming naked until the tide goes out. And <laughs> I'm starting to find out, you know, who has been doing it the right way mm -hmm. and, um, you know, who, you know, maybe need to tighten up their, um, their, their practices a little bit. Yeah, that's interesting observation. Um, all right, our second question, 
is what is a, per, a, a piece of career advice you would give somebody who's looking to get into recruiting in the rough and warranty industry? It's a little twist on our usual. Modification <laughs> on our regular second questions. You already asked the second question beginning. So yeah. I would say that if you're interested in getting into recruiting in this industry, it's, it's really helpful to develop an understanding of, you have to understand the industry and the products first. Um, and if you do, then I think from there, you, you then understand the cultures of the various companies uh, who underwrite and the brokers. And I think that, you know, in order to be a good recruiter, you got to understand the business of your client um, because from there, you can understand the kind of talent that they need to uh, strengthen their business uh, and grow their business. And if you don't understand the, the industry and really have a deep understanding of the products and what they're trying to accomplish, then I think it's gonna be hard to be effective as a recruiter um, because you're not gonna, you know, I mean, look, it, I think people think of recruiting as, you know, sending resumes and it is, but it's a lot more than that. And I, and I think that um, where we're not needed as recruiters, we're not needed if the company just says, you know, I need someone to fill this role. Um, and they're not particularly concerned about the level of talent that they're hiring. You know, you don't, you really don't need to hire a recruitment firm like ours in that case, but if it really matters. So I think one way of looking at it is, you know, like we, we can hire somebody just randomly that we find on, you know, Indeed or something like that. Um, and we can save a recruitment fee. We don't have to pay whether it's us or somebody else, you know, let's say a $50,000 recruitment fee. And that seems like a lot of money. Well, look, if you don't hire the right talent, right, totally. $10 million claim, right. um, then that's, yeah. that's the definition of penny wise and pound foolish, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, you can, so I think that where we add value in transactional risk insurance is there are certain companies that know they're gonna get better talent if they work with us. And that's gonna end up helping their bottom line. Maybe not on day one, because look, anybody can say yes and issue a policy, right? But maybe not on day one, but a few years down the road, if they want um, their claims history to be better than their competitor, it really matters what talent uh, you hire. And, and you know, um, the, the best, the companies who really understand that, I mean, there are companies in the industry we've placed you know, six, seven, eight people with, we place their whole teams. And now those people are reaping the benefits uh, of that. And particularly in a hard market, like we're kind of moving into, like I mentioned before, where talent really matters and decision-making really matters. And, you know, look, it's at the end of the day, it's judgment and it's skill and discipline. And um, with underwriting reps and warranties insurance, you can't fake it. Either you know how to do it and you do it well, um, or you get burned. It's one or the other. Well, I think that that's all excellent advice. And I think something, you know, we've seen as well in terms of, uh, you know, the difference that really great underwriters can make in the process and, and, and making sure that the, that the deals are done correctly. So, so our final question um, are uh, kind of fun questions. We were talking with you beforehand, Dave, about, about golf, uh, which is a hobby of yours. And you were telling us uh, this great story about how 
uh, in the country of Ireland, where my ancestors are from, uh, you are officially recognized as a better golfer than Tom Watson um, by people who are very knowledgeable about the game. So maybe we'll let you just explain a, a little bit about that story, uh, uh, since, since we thought it was uh, a very interesting story you were telling us. Well, I'm going to have to correct you because that it was not the case that I was better than Tom Watts. It was a so we had a. You're being dad, too modest now. My dad, my dad and I were playing at uh, La Hinch, which is a famous course in uh, Ireland, and there weren't very many people there that day. We had it was cold. We had sort of this uh, this grumpy old Irish caddy who'd been around for you know 50 years, and he wasn't saying anything as we're going around. I was playing phenomenal. It was like the best round of golf I had on the whole trip. Uh, the wind was howling, but I was playing great anyway. And I was feeling great about myself. And my dad's like, my God, you're, you're, you're like on fire today. Caddy's saying nothing. So we get up to like the 15th hole and there weren't, again, there weren't that many people there, but this is right before the British open. And uh, a group in front of us kind of walked past the tee. There were a couple holes in front of us and it was uh, Tom Watson and Ken Venturi were in the group and we're like starstruck, like, oh my God. They're right there and we, we say hi to them and you know like we we're kind of um so the caddy finally speaks and he goes eh, they're they're not very good <laughs> and i look at him like what are you crazy watson's won the british open five times i said well my god not very good they're better than us <laughs> and he just says nothing and my dad just loses because <laughs> here i am thinking i'm I'm really good. I was like, you know, two over par for 15 holes in the howling wind. And the caddy thought absolutely nothing of my game and uh, obviously thought nothing of Tom Watson's game. I don't know who he thinks is good, but anyway, we, we, uh, we gave him a big tip anyway. Well, he sounds like a tough critic, that caddy. So uh, much, much tougher critic than we are here on Into the Breach. So that's right. Um, and, that's right. And with that, we're very appreciative, Dave, for uh, you coming on the show today and talking with us. This was a great episode. I think there's sometimes a mystery about the, how people get involved in this uh, career. And I think you've illuminated a lot of the different areas that people we've heard people ask about. And um, perhaps if you want to give uh, your contact information, if uh, insurers or brokers or individual folks want to get in touch with you where, where they can reach you at. Absolutely. Uh, anybody who wants to reach me, I'll just, my phone number is 917-887-2839. Uh, text me, call me, whatever. I mean, most of the business we get is from referrals and word of mouth. Um, so um, yeah, just reach out to me anytime, whether you're a candidate who's interested in learning more about this or a company that needs help with strengthening your team either way. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, your phone will be ringing off the hook now after giving that out on our show. <laughs> that is, right. You may not know. We are a I very, mean, it's very popular be like, podcast. You're be, you'll be changing your phone number. But, uh, <laughs> but well, thank you very much, Dave, for coming on today. We've uh, really appreciated it. Great, great information. And um, until next time, this was another episode into the breach. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to Into the Breach. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, please visit rwipodcast.com. The views and opinions expressed by Brian O'Keefe and Jenna Usenheimer in this podcast are their own and do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Cyfarth Shaw, LLP, its partners, or its employees. 
The podcast does not provide legal or other professional services. This podcast is made available by the lawyer publishers for educational purposes only, as well as to give you general information and a general understanding of the law, not to provide specific legal advice. By listening to this podcast, you understand that there is no attorney-client relationship between you and the lawyer publishers. The podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state. As defined in the State Bar of New York's Code of Professional Responsibility, this podcast is considered a form of attorney advertising. Prior results do not guarantee similar outcomes.